0: Thank you. You may be seated. Well, thank you again for being here this morning. Just a couple of quick things. August the 22nd, it's a Sunday. Uh, We're doing our first night of worship here. And I'm just telling you, you do not want to miss this. We are planning a really special service for you. It's going to be a little bit different than what we do on Sunday mornings or Saturday nights. And so we would encourage you uh, to to just come with us or join us and, and be a part. Also, uh, we're walking through the process of uh, providing school supplies for Span Elementary. If you've been with us, you know this, that every year we provide all the school supplies that 325 students need at Span Elementary. 97% of the parents there, the, the families there, are at or below the poverty line. And so we, this is just a huge outreach, huge ministry to our church. If you haven't had an opportunity to do that, then you can go to the, the Welcome Center, and there's a booth and a table uh, that will get you in the right place. How's that? Okay, so today we're gonna end up our series on Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 13 is where we're gonna be. Read a brief scripture in Nehemiah chapter 10, but we're gonna spend the bulk of our time in Nehemiah 13. And so both this morning service and, and the early service and now the late, as we were going through worship, I just kept having this thought about life is hard. I mean, you know that, I mean, life can be hard and life can be difficult. I mean, the speed of life, the things that go on in life, the decisions that we have to make, the hurts, the pains, the uncertainty of the future, life can be hard. But the same truth is this, sometimes I make life a lot harder than it really needs to be sometimes my decisions, sometimes the decisions of others that affect me. But if we're not careful, we'll make life a lot more difficult than God ever intended our life to be. And that's what happened in Nehemiah. And those of you that have been with us, you know this. It was a group of people who were once very faithful to God. They honored God. They walked with God. They knew God. And for whatever reason, they decided to make life a little bit more difficult for themselves. And so they walked away from God. But guess what? God did not walk away from them, and so they walked away from God, and, and they used some of the same things that we use today. They were saying our, our mom and dad they were old fashioned about this religion and about this relationship to Christ, and so they made some changes, and they were once very faithful, and they became faithless. And then God rebuilt them. And the book of Nehemiah is about a group of people that became very unfaithful and how God rebuilds broken lives. And God will take my life, and he'll take your life, and he will rebuild that life. And so they came back to God, and then they, they came back to church, and so they opened up the Word because they hadn't been to church in a long time, and they got their pastor Ezra to open up the Word. He began reading the Word, and they began learning some things that they quit doing when they wandered from God. And... Isn't that what we do? I mean, when we wander from God, usually we quit doing the things that we once did, whether it's church attendance, whether it's reading scripture, whether it's praying, whether it's trusting him, and they were no different. And so Ezra, the priest, the pastor of their day, began reading through scripture saying, you know, we've quit doing this and we've quit doing this. And, and so they made some commitments. In Nehemiah chapter 10, they began to make some commitments and said, you know, we're going to have a commitment to worship and we're going to learn to worship him again. And then they made other commitments about stewardship and about, about walking with him and rhythms of life and making church a priority and the Sabbath and what all that means. And then today we're going to look at the last commitment Maybe be one of the most deepest commitments that they made, but they're all deep. In Nehemiah chapter 10, here's what they said in verse 35. They says, we obligate ourselves to bring first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of, of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. So just two quick principles this morning as we look at this issue of stewardship is the first thing is this. It is God's plan for his children to give. I mean, when you look at this issue, you find that it's God's plan. God has created me, and God has created you to give. Here's what the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 13. I'm going to read all the way through chapter, to verse 12 and just make some comments. Here's what the Scripture says. On that day, they read from the book of Moses. So they're opening up the Scripture. All they had was the first five books at that time. He said, In hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel, bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. This is so important. Yet our God turned a curse into blessing. God turns curse into blessing today. That's what salvation is about. That's what salvation is about is when you and I come to Christ, he takes a curse and he turns it into a blessing. I hope you know that this day, that God still turns a curse into a blessing. Verse 4, as we move along, now before this. Eliashib, the priest who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God and was related to Tobiah. Now remember, Tobiah was the bad guy. Remember, in the story of Nehemiah, he was the one that was trying to keep the work from God happening. He was trying to prevent it. And so he's in the the chambers of the house of God related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously... Starts talking about their grain, the tithes of grain, the vessels. Watch this. Previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandments to the Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priest. So here's what happened. Nehemiah moved in, um, Tobiah moved in, realized nobody was giving any more to the church. Everybody had quit because they wandered away from God. And so they had a room in their day where all the tithes of grain, the offerings were kept. And so Tobiah comes in and says, hey, can I use that for my storage place? And so Tobiah moved in the minivan and the the, the RV and the trailers and the boats and the four wheelers and the motorcycles and moved in his toys and started using a place that was once considered a place reserved for tithes offerings now for his things and his stuff. And so watch this. Nehemiah's writing says, while this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. So he wasn't there when all this was taking place. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked uh, for leave uh, of the king and came to Jerusalem. And then watch this. Then I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done. For Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of god and i was very angry and i threw all the household furniture of tobiah out so he got out the rv and the camper and the boats and all the other stuff and he got them out of the house of god and then i gave orders that they cleanse the chambers and i brought back there the vessels of the house of god where the grain offering and the frankincense i also found out found the portions of the levites had not been given to them so the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled to his field, so no longer because the pastors pastor and minister to a community because they had no income, because the people had quit giving. So I confronted the officials and said, Why is this the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all of of Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the wine and all the oil into the storehouses. So here's what's going on. The people had wandered away from God, and so they quit honoring God with their resources. They quit honoring God with their talents. They quit honoring God completely and totally. And Nehemiah says, The thing you have done, and the thing you have done is an evil thing. You have taken the things that were meant for God, and you have kept them, for yourself you see it's not only God's plan for his children to give but it is God's plan for him to be able to bless you and put you in a position and you to put yourself in a position where he can bless you and so you gotta ask your question who who came up with this who came up with giving was it a pastor was it a televangelist was it was it man realize God created you and I to give Abraham and Jacob before the law before the Ten Commandments do you realize they were given a tenth back? God has created us to give. That's why we got to fight against it when we see a need. That's why we've got to come up with excuses of why we cannot give. I mean, he does this so that we understand that everything we have is his. You understand that, right? Everything you have is his. And we were created to give. And I've watched this. I've done mission work in some of the poorest places of our world. And here's an amazing thing. When I was in Beattostock, Poland, I've seen it in other places that were, where they'd never heard the word of God. They'd never knew about Jesus. And we went in there and we talked to them about that. And they met Christ. They became a Christian. You realize the first thing they did is give. And it was so humbling as a missionary. I still have a crystal cross that sits in, in my office and Uh, Just as a reminder, we were in Beattlestock, Poland, and it was a very, very poor area. And I I spent two weeks there and was flying back to the States, and uh, a, a family had gotten together. And in our terms, very inexpensive, just a small crystal cross. And it represented a month of salary for them. I didn't want to take it. I didn't want to take it. I knew that God has created us. No one has to tell them to give. God has created us. Man, He's created us to give. In fact, is this issue of giving? Man, you see it all through the Bible, you see it all the way through Scripture, and God uses this issue of giving to teach us that you know what? I can trust Him with every area of my life, He can be trusted and that he's a good father, watch this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, 9 through 12, or we'll come back to that because this is the middle of a sermon that he's preaching, the Sermon on the Mount, or which one of you? If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Serpent. If you then, who are evil, in other words, if you then, who are a jerk, (laughs) that's nicer than what he said. If you then, who are a jerk, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. You know what? It doesn't matter how gracious and loving and giving your parents were or are. It doesn't compare to the gifts in the goodness of God. Whatever picture you have. And so he goes on and he says, if you, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? See, the root issue of this issue of giving is this. A lot of times the reason we don't give because we really and truly do not believe God is good. We really do not believe that we can trust him. We really do not believe that God desires the best for us and has the best plan for our life. That's why they wandered away from him. They said, all this other stuff, that's old-fashioned. People don't do that anymore. You don't have to live like that anymore. Life is hard. But sometimes we make it harder than it needs to be. The potholes... The boulders that we run into, the bridge out signs, the construction signs, the U-turns, the difficulties in life, sometimes that is God letting us know, you're on a wrong road. You're not on a road where I can bless you, where I can protect you. We looked at this in the book of Ephesians, that when we come under the authority of God, we also come under His, His protection. I hear people all the time say, well, they just need to hit, they just they just need like the prodigal son, they just need to hit bottom before they'll turn around. No, you don't. Man, God wants you now. See, this issue of giving is really issue of stewardship. And I can solve, and I'm not a financial planner, but I can solve about 90% of the financial problems that people have in, in, in just a couple of statements. And really, it's just the financial principles of, of Scripture, the biblical financial advice is this, stewardship in living below your means. That's it. Stewardship, you see everything that you have is God's, it's God's, you're a steward of that, you're a manager of that is what the Bible says, you use it to bless people, you use it to bless a church, you use it to further his kingdom, stewardship, and then learning to live below your means. Oh, and the definition of living below your means is not living below your credit card limit. Living below your means simply means this, just a biblical definition. More is coming in than is going out. Stewardship, giving, walks on two legs, and we just got to understand this this morning. Stewardship, living below your means, because Matthew 25, God says this, that God cannot bless a poor steward. And understanding this, Understanding that all that you have is His and when a pastor begins to talk about this subject, there are those that push back pretty quickly and they condemn it. They criticize it. They explain it away. They ignore it. Instead of doing what Malachi said, God said, test me on this. Just try it. You see, you see, there are some that, that, that believe that God has changed between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Do you believe that? Because there are some that do. There are some that believe that God was mean in the Old Testament and he's nice in the New Testament. Do you realize if you believe that, you've got all kinds of theological problems? Because if a person can change, he's not perfect. If a person can improve, he's not perfect. But Scripture says that God is perfect. And God is holy. See, before Jesus made that a statement, in, in Matthew 7, he said this. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it'll be opened. Jesus did not say the one who does Nothing to accept Christ and to be a Christian, there is something you've got to do. It's not just staring at the door, it's not just looking at the door, but it's actually doing something, taking the initiative to knock. There's, There's a principle in scripture that says that we place ourselves in a position for God to bless us and Nehemiah was trying to get the children of Israel to understand. He said, guys, man, you've walked away from God and you're on the wrong road. And you've made life a lot harder than it really needs to be. Life's, I'm learning this, life is hard enough without me making it harder. He said, guys, the reason the potholes, the boulders, the bridges out, relational problems, difficulties, you're on the wrong road. We're on the wrong road. And everything you have Everything you have is God's. And you may say, well, whoa, wait a minute. I've worked really hard. I mean, I've worked really hard. Who gave you that talent? Who gave you that ability? The Bible says it is God who gave you the ability to make wealth. That ability came from him. And we've got to understand this morning. There's a difference between talent and skill. Okay, Talent is what God gives you. Skill is what you do with the talent that God gives you. You are a steward. Michael Jordan, uh, one of the greatest basketball players of our time. I could practice as much as he does, make make as many free throws, run horses, run laps, stay in the gym even longer than he does, and I would never achieve what Michael Jordan achieved on the basketball court. Why? I don't have the talent. Part of your worship, part of my worship, is what you do with the talent that God has given you. That's the skill part. Michael Jordan, yes, had the talent, but he developed the skill. The same is true with us, is that we are stewards of what God has given us. Everything you have is God's. When I understood that early in my life, everything changed for me. I will never forget. In 1994, I was working in engineering in Houston, Texas, and... and uh, God had been dealing with me for 10 years about being a pastor and I never wanted to be a pastor. It just wasn't a goal of mine. And, and finally I surrendered and we had an opportunity to come to Pueblo, Colorado and plant a church. And, and, uh, we had, we had a couple of houses at the time. We had a few cars and, and, and we had a boat that I just, I just deeply loved. I mean, we raised our kids in the boat. We spent a lot of times on the lake because we had a place on the lake and, and it was very personal to me. And so Karen and I, when, when we knew, I mean, it's easier going up than going down. Uh, and some of you know that. And so we knew that our whole lifestyle was about ready to change. And, and uh, so we knew we were going to have to sell some stuff. And so we started selling some stuff. And, and we were talking one night. And in talking, we said, you know, uh, we're going to have to sell the boat. And I'm like, not the boat. <laughs> we all struggle with this, right? I mean, not the boat. I'll, God, I will sell. I, I'm giving up a career. I'm moving away from my family. We're moving away from our church. We're moving away from our friends. I'll never make this income ever again. Uh, I'm giving up a lot already, God. Don't ask me to give up the boat. <laughs> We'd paid cash for the boat 10 years prior to that. And uh, and so Karen's like, you know, we, we really need to... We need to sell it. And I says, you're right. I, I know we do. And so the next day, Karen comes home from, from church and says, hey, you're never going to believe this. I met a lady. Her husband's looking for a boat to buy. That was not good news to me. <laughs> so Karen says, would you, would you go to lunch with him and, and let him look at the boat and the whole deal? And I'm like, no, I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to sell the boat. Anything but the boat. And uh, so anyway, so I, I, I said, sure. So I took him to lunch, we went to lunch, we drove out to the lake, we looked at the boat, and praise God, it was not the type of boat he was looking for. <laughs> and I was so excited over that, and, and in the process of this whole deal, I had gone down into my office to where we keep the titles to all of the stuff, because we'd paid cash for the boat 10 years before, and I went and opened up the file, and there was no title. And I thought, Karen, I had forgotten this. We don't have a title. There's no way I can sell the boat. I mean, we don't have enough time before we leave, and so you know how you come up with excuses? Two days later, and if, if I could have scanned it, I would have, but two da- days later, we get a le- Karen gets a, in the mail. She checked the mail. She goes to the mailbox, opens it up, and there's a letter there. It's the title to the boat. And there were seven stamps uh, returned to sender. They had the wrong address, but this time, It made it to our house, still with the wrong address. You think God was trying to, you think that's coincidence? (laughs) And we went through a process. We went through a process, and we ended up not being able to sell the boat. And we brought the boat with us to Colorado, and it was, it provided a vacation, our first three or four vacations while we were here, because we couldn't afford to go anywhere. Sometimes, a lot of times, God wants you to release your stuff to him so he can bless you. That boat taught me and taught Karen a tremendous lesson. God's a good father. God cares for you deeply. And I don't care if it's in the area of finances, in relationships, in life... Man, God desires to bless you. Some will tell you that, you know what, this tithing thing, it's not in the New Testament. It's just in the Old Testament. I would disagree. Jesus said this in Matthew 23, 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done, watch this, without neglecting the other without neglecting the tithe. Jesus talked about this issue. 80% of the parables that Jesus talked was this issue of money. Why? Most of our problems are over money, right? Most divorces happen as a result of finances. Most domestic quarrels happen. What are we going to do with our money? How are we going to spend our money? How are we going to utilize it? I mean, most of our arguments in life because money, finances are so emotional. Listen, I've watched this as a pastor. Families that get along for decades together that love each other deeply, and then there's a death, then there's an estate. And then families blow apart over who gets the rocker and who gets the chair and who gets the sofa and who gets the money. I mean, it's, it's so emotional to us. Biblical finance, stewardship, living below your means. Here, here's the testimony I always get for people that believe that and people that live that. People that understand stewardship, live below their means. When you talk to them about this issue of giving, they always say, I am so blessed. I don't know how I could ever quit. You just cannot outgive God. There's just the peace that is in my life, the things that God does for me. I could never quit. Here's the testimony that I get from people that don't practice stewardship, living below their means. I don't know how I could ever start. My life is so upside down financially. Man, I'm, I might desire to. I don't know. I don't know. Leviticus says this. Leviticus 27.30 says, Every tithe of the land, whether the, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it's the Lord's. It is holy. It's already His. You're, already, you're just giving back to what is His. And there are some people say, well, it's the law to give 10%. No, it's grace that you get to keep 90 God desires for his children to give. And then watch this. God desires to bless his children. Malachi Malachi 3.10 says this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in the house. And therefore, put me to the test. Just test me on this. I will bless you. I will bless your life. Says to the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy your profession, your career. You realize the trust here? So that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil or your vine in the field shall not fail to bear. Says the Lord of hosts, that all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is the same Lord who cannot change. But this is the same Lord who says just test me on this. And I will bless you. There should be a difference in the way we live as believers. We should live totally different than the rest of the world. How can we as believers say you should trust my God. When our credit card is over max, We got mortgages too big for us that we can't pay. We carry as much financial stress and much as financial pressure as the rest of the world. And then we say oh. You should trust our God. See, part of giving, part of stewardship is a testimony that God desires. Well, He desires to bless us. And Scripture says when I come under the authority of God, what's in the area of finances, it's in the area of giving whether it's in the area of relationships, whether it's in the area of worship, whether it's in the area of marriage, he says, you'll come under that. I'll bless you. And not just in prosperity. I'll bless you with peace and comfort. See, this is really deeper. And that's why when we talk about finances and money, it gets so emotional or Or personal, because it's dealing with the priority of God in our life. It's deeper than just giving. I told you earlier that everything that you have is God's. It's really not true. There's really one thing that's not His that's your sin, that's yours. Everything else that you and I have in our life is God's. And we steward that. And we manage that. There's one thing that's not his. It's our sin. And here's what God says. You can take the one thing that is not yours, that is yours, not mine, your sin, your hurt, your pain, your guilt from the past, the things that you wish you could do over, the things that you wish you had never done, you can take that and you can exchange it for my son's righteousness. And I'll take it. And I'll forgive you. And I'll justify you. Next week we start going through the book of Galatians and we're going to understand this principle of how to live free how to live free from your sin, how to live, live free from the bondage of this world, what it means to be justified in him. But he tells you and I this. If you will give me your sin, your junk and your stuff, I'll give you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I'll forgive you. Our most treasured possession is our soul and our life. See, it's really deeper than giving of finances. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Please. Boy, I just want to give you, because I know this is a heavy message. What's God saying to you? Not what is Charlie saying to you? Not will your, what will your wife or your mom or your dad or your husband say to you later? And what is God saying to you? Do you need this morning to give your soul to Him? Do you need to exchange your sin and your junk and your stuff For his son's righteousness, for forgiveness of sin, so that you can walk out of here a new person without tied to the junk and the stuff of your past? Do you need to do that this morning? Do you need to make a commitment to be a better steward? Do you need to start giving? Do you need to make a commitment to start living and learning how to live below your means? Develop a budget, make some commitments. What is God saying to you this morning? If you want to give him your life and if you want to give him your soul, it's so easy. It's just a simple prayer where you ask him to come into your life and say, Lord, I know I've messed up. I know I've blown it big times. But I thank you that you're loving and forgiving God. And I'm asking that you forgive me. And I give you my life. And I want to follow you. Maybe you need to make another commitment. Maybe you've known him and maybe you're like the children of Israel in the book of Nehemiah and you've wandered away from him and you're coming back to him. He'll accept you. Father, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for your love and we thank you for your grace. Father, I thank you that you're a loving and forgiving God. I thank you that your blood covers every sin. For those that have prayed and asked you to come in their life and to forgive, you of the, forgive them of their sins, Father, I thank you for that decision. For those that are making other commitments, I thank you for that. Would this be a spiritual moment in each of our lives that we know that you are here this morning and that you love and you care for us and that you're a good father who can be trusted and you desire to bless us as we walk in obedience to you and to your commands. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.